I have one thing to say to you. Kiss my fat ass. Welcome to season one, episode four of R.I.P. Diets. It is I, the Grim Reaper, Emily Lubin, here to guide you through the shitstorm that is diet culture. I just want to say the podcast launched last week and I was so delighted to read so many kind messages from people. If you reached out to me on social media and sent me a nice message, thank you so, so, so much. Um, You have no idea how much it warms my heart to read those messages from you. Um, And uh, gosh, there were so many. Thank you and continue reaching out to me on social media. I love hearing from everyone and I love hearing if you connect with the podcast and maybe what specific topics you'd like to hear. I could use all the feedback you can give me. But I will say if you reach out to me on social media with a nice message, copy and paste it into an iTunes review. I could really use more iTunes reviews. They really do help people find the show. And as you all know, I'm trying to start a revolution. So I can really use um, all the iTunes reviews I can get. So I'm going to start reading some gorgeous reviews that I receive right up top. Um, And I got one shortly after the podcast was launched. And it's a gorgeous review. I'm just going to go ahead and read it. This review was written by Pippa Mags. Shout out Pippa Mags. Um, The title of the review is Emily is Awesome. Oh, thank you. And it is a five-star review. This is a topic that needs open dialogue and frank discussions. Emily is sure to deliver. I listen to her on other podcasts. Check her out on Hot Mess Comedy Hour and her guest appearances on Keith and the Girl, Only in New York, and others. Emily is insightful, compassionate, and approaches dark topics with a candor that makes you feel like you're in the company of an old friend. Looking forward to many episodes. Thank you so much for that review. And I love that picture that you're painting of me because that's exactly what I'm trying to achieve here. I want to make you feel like we're having a sort of fireside chat or maybe to make it more relatable. Uh, I want to make it feel like you just texted me after a long day and I said, oh, come on over, girl. We'll talk about it. And you come over. I pour you a glass of wine. And then we sit on my couch and watch some 90s rom-com and talk about everything that's fucked up in the world. Because that's my favorite thing to do is commiserate with friends. And quite often things that I talk about on the podcast spill over into my everyday conversations. It's actually not that far off. So on that note, I want to be really frank with you guys and uh, tell you that recording this episode today was a bit of, I don't want to say a struggle, but you know, it's, it's a little hard for me to sit down and record today. Um, because I am not having a great day. I'm actually not having a great week. I have my period and, uh, you know, it's, it's day two of my period, which is the worst day for me personally. It's just the first day is like a cakewalk and I'm like, ah, this is no problem. I'm, I'm, I'm such a woman. And then by the second day, it's like the floodgates have opened and I'm just out here being Moses trying to part the Red Sea. And also I deal with a lot of feelings of discomfort in my body. I feel bloated. I just feel disgusting and It can be really easy when I'm feeling like that to get into a negative mindset and kind of resort to old patterns of thinking and old habits. But I try my best during those times to stay strong. And by the way, it's not even just when I have my period. You know, some days I do not feel great. Some days I don't feel so hot. I don't feel cute. And that happens to everybody. 
I don't want to come on here and make it seem like I am a pillar of strength and I have these ideals that I 100% always stick to and I never slip up and I never have to check myself. It's actually quite the opposite. I constantly have to check myself. I constantly find myself thinking, oh, you look fat in that, and then having to correct myself. And I think that's a common misconception is that when you are recovered from dieting, then you magically don't think those thoughts anymore. And that's not true. You just learn to view those thoughts more objectively and with a critical eye instead of just succumbing to them every time you stop and think, wait a second, why am I saying that to myself? Why do I think that? Or if it has to do with food and you tell yourself, I shouldn't be eating that, to stop and think, why do I think that? Is that a diet culture thought? Which brings me right into principle number four of intuitive eating, which is challenge the food police. And I'm going to read the official definition from intuitiveeating.org. Scream aloud no to thoughts in your head that declare you're good for eating minimal calories or bad because you ate a piece of chocolate cake. The food police monitor the unreasonable rules that diet culture has created. The police station is housed deep in your psyche and its loudspeaker shouts negative barbs, hopeless phrases, and guilt-provoking indictments. Chasing the food police away is a critical step in returning to intuitive eating. So how do you put this into practice? Because we all have the food police in our head or, you know, these negative thoughts, whatever you want to call it. And how can you effectively put it into practice to say no to those thoughts and to reinforce your way of thinking when you're doubting yourself so much and maybe you had a a conversation with someone that day and they said something as arbitrary as, you know, sugar leads to cancer or sugar. Somebody said to me one time, sugar is going to be the next smoking. And I said, what do you mean? Like you're going to get lung cancer from it? And she said, no, not lung cancer, but you know, different types of cancers. Um, This, mind you, was not a doctor who said this to me. I find that, you know, people just make false claims all the time that they can't back up with any kind of science or statistics. But for some reason, those words still carry weight with us. And We have a lot of fear of the unknown in general, so I think it can be tempting when somebody gives you health advice to just think, oh, okay, maybe they're right. But by the same token, maybe they're wrong. And also, I'm here to tell you, they are wrong. Food is fucking food. It's not going to give you cancer. So uh, going back to how do you put it into practice. So when you pick up a food, if you have a negative thought or you start shaming yourself for eating it before you've even eaten it, you can say to yourself, or you can even say out loud if it helps you, that's a diet culture thought. And I have to do this with myself. Um, It varies between I think that's a diet culture thought. Sometimes it's that's an eating disorder thought, depending on the nature of the thought. And once you identify which of your thoughts are being influenced by diet culture, you can remind yourself that you don't believe in diet culture anymore. So that thought that you're having is not the truth. It's just your internalized fat phobia. And I was debating whether to say this today, but fuck it. I have a confession to make and... I'm probably going to say this and people are not even going to blink at it, but it's something that has been kind of haunting me. Last week, I met a friend in the park. I met a couple friends in the park. Socially distanced. Don't come for me. It was socially distanced. But I met a couple friends in the park and it was on a weekend and here in New York City, things have gotten real loosey-goosey in terms of like people protecting themselves from coronavirus. A lot of people are out in the East Village 
um, or even here in Brooklyn where I live, just out in the streets congregating outside bars with little styrofoam cups of margaritas and no masks on, just gathering in groups and acting like nothing is happening. And I find it very confusing. I feel like I'm being gaslit by everybody because I'm still being fairly careful. I mean, I I am socializing with people, but I'm still taking extra precautions. And, you know, maybe it's because I I see my mother a couple times a week and she's in her 60s and I want to protect her. And um, I've seen my dad as well. But I just think people are getting real wild. Um, Maybe there's something in the air. I mean, it is June. But I anyway, I met these friends in the park the other day and there were all these kids running around. There were all these families clearly not staying very far apart from each other. And one of my friends was getting a little anxious about it. And at one point, a child ran by us and he was very close to us. Uh, probably less than a foot. He was very close to us. And he starts running in circles around us and then runs away. And my friend said something like, oh, oh my God, I can't be here. That fat kid just ran by us and he's, he was sweating. He's sweating on us, whatever. And he said it in a, you know, like a frantic, humorous way. And I didn't know how to react to it. Immediately when I heard it, I couldn't believe he said that. Not the thing about the kid running close to us but just saying that fat kid that fat kid it was so I hate that I I hate when people call other people fat but especially a child and I didn't know how to react to it I didn't know how to address that with my friend I didn't want to be awkward about it so I just I laughed and I shrugged it off and I didn't laugh because I thought it was funny. I thought it was horrifying in the moment. I was horrified. But it can be really awkward to talk about these things with people who are close to us or to, you know, when you hear somebody that is close to you call somebody fat and you don't know the other person, you're closer to the person who who said it. It can be hard to call that person out because I don't want to start something, you know. It's not my job to educate people on fat phobia or diet culture or this whole society. Like, I I do have this podcast. I love talking about this subject matter, but I don't want to be the person who polices everybody else about the correct terminology. And I I don't want to be that person. So it's really been eating me up inside to be honest because and I felt bad for an entire day afterwards and I was trying to figure out why exactly I felt so bad about it and it's because when I was about nine I went to my aunt and uncle's country club my aunt and uncle live in Connecticut and like belong to a country club with a pool and we used to all go to the country club and um, like hit the snack bar and hit the pool. And it's like one of the most fun things from my childhood. I went to the country club and I was in a tankini, they called it. I mean, they probably still call it a tankini, but I haven't worn a tankini since I was probably 11 or 12. And my aunt had been saying all day like, oh, look at your little swimsuit oh you're so cute and I think I felt like hot shit a little bit and then my mom took me home and when we got home my mom said something like oh your aunt said that uh you looked like you lost weight and I got very defensive about it because I was so sensitive about my weight I never liked anybody to say anything about my weight I just wanted to be invisible honestly and I said something like, oh, why would she say that? Why would she comment on that? Why would she even notice that? And my mom was like, Emily, don't get defensive. Like she was giving you a compliment. And I was like, but I'm skinny. And I was not skinny, okay, by any definition. But I think I wanted to be skinny so bad because I knew how much other people wanted me to be skinny. 
So that was my retort in the moment. But I'm skinny. And my mom got in my face and said, you're fat. And it's just one of those things that has stayed with me throughout my entire life. And sometimes I think about it when I hear somebody call especially a child fat because I know what that's like and I know how painful that can be and how evil it can sound and I just know how unproductive it is as well and I never would call a child fat not to their face not behind their back because it's such a source of pain for me and something that I've never fully recovered from but then when my friend said it I just I didn't know how to act in the moment and I just I laughed and shrugged it off and tried to forget about it you know I'm not gonna beat myself up about it for doing that because once again it's not my job to tell people how to act or what to say or how to refer to people's bodies or even to comment on people's bodies which I think you never should but I do think that if you yourself find yourself commenting on other people in that way, you need to stop and think about how could my words possibly be hurting somebody? Because that one comment, that one, you're fat, it has stayed with me my entire life. And it's something that I think about sometimes and I start crying. So I never want to inflict that pain on someone else. I know that anyone who is ridiculed by someone for their weight, has probably been ridiculed for it before and has probably ridiculed themselves plenty of times and has called themselves fat and you calling them fat reaffirms it and just takes a toll on their self-esteem even more. And I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if if I'm around that friend again and something similar happens, I'm, I'm going to try to say something because I don't think it's right. <sighs> Thank you guys. That was hard for me to say because, you know, it's what it, that I never even talked about that in therapy. I never even talked about that because I also have sympathy for my mom in that moment of weakness. She probably felt like, oh, my child like is resisting this so much and but she needs to lose weight. So when people say you lost weight, she should be happy. Why is she not happy? And, you know, that's just the product of being raised to think that you need to be skinny and that's the most important thing and wanting your child to believe that too and do I think that's right no would I do that to my children no but I have a lot of empathy for where she was coming from and that she thought she was failing as a mother by letting me be heavier than she thought I should be okay so now we're going to talk about television (laughs) I feel like I talk about TV in every episode, but hey, we're in the queue and I'm watching a lot of TV. And one thing that I've been revisiting because it's such a comforting TV show is Gilmore Girls. Ooh, where you lead, I will follow any anywhere that you tell me to if you need Anyone who has not seen Gilmore Girls, what are you doing with your life? I mean, my boyfriend says it's trash, but I don't care. I wait till he's in his office, a.k.a. the kitchen, and I wait till I'm in my office, a.k.a. the bedroom, and I watch it by myself during the day because I find it very comforting. I watched it a lot when I was younger. Gilmore Girls is about a mother and daughter, and the mother, her name's Lorelai, had her daughter, Rory, when she was 16, which sounds like it would be a disaster, but somehow it all worked out for her. She runs an inn. Um, it's a very unbelievable show. Like, it, it's almost theatrical. You can tell that the entire show was filmed on this one lot. And you can see, like, the Hollywood sign in the background sometimes. And it's not a very immersive show. Let's just put it like that. All the characters talk super, super fast. Um... Gosh, I'm I'm blanking on the name of the person who wrote Gilmore Girls. Let me just look it up. But it kind of has an Aaron Sorkin feel of people talking really, really fast and people being way too clever for how they would actually be. And the lead character, Lorelai, um, 
we have a on and off relationship. I like Lorelai, but I do think she's a little bit too quippy for my taste. Um, she's kind of like manic pixie dream girl esque, as is her daughter Rory in a lot of ways. They're very similar, but one of their quirks, um, the mom and daughter, they're very close. They're like best friends. Oh, time out. Amy Sherman Palladino was the creator of Gilmore Girls. She has that style. She did Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which is similar. And it's one of the reasons why I actually couldn't get into that show. I watched the first season and I stopped because that style just throws me off. It's just a little too... We're being a little too smart-assed for me. But then again, I watched all seven seasons of Gilmore Girls, so who am I to say? <laughs> I Everybody has those shows that they love and they hate at the same time. And if you don't have one of those shows, you're living half a life. But um, one character quirk that Lorelai and Rory in Gilmore Girls have is they eat a lot. And they're both super-duper thin super duper pretty um, and they eat massive amounts of food and never put on any weight. Um, I looked it up because I've noticed this trope in TV shows, mainly sitcoms. I see it a lot in sitcoms of, you know, this thin, cute girl who eats a lot and never puts on weight. And the eating a lot is kind of like an endearing, cute thing. Um, as long as she doesn't gain any weight, of course. And when I looked it up, I literally Googled thin woman eats a lot trope. And it came up with the skinny glutton, which is not a term that I had ever heard, but perfectly describes what I'm talking about. Um, another example would be Liz Lemon in 30 Rock. Now, I want to send my driver into Manhattan to pick up dessert. Anybody know a good place for cupcakes? I think there's a Mac place. Girl, give me a break. I'm on it. 77th in Amsterdam, 68th in Columbus, 125th in President Clinton Boulevard. Also, don't overthink it. Sarah Lee, frozen. Unbelievable. She eats a lot and she's a thin woman and she doesn't put on weight, but it's kind of like a way to poke fun at her and pe people call her a slob and whatever, but she's, you know, she always looks great. Um, oh, there's Leslie Nope on Parks and Recreation. I wrote down some of these because I, I kept thinking of more and more and more. Um, uh, she's a little bit less so, but she seems to mainly eat waffles. She loves waffles, and she loves them from this one particular diner. Anything for my favorite customer. You spent over $1,000 last year on waffles alone. And then Grace on Will and Grace is another one. I mean, Deborah Messing, man. I mean, she is such a thin, thin woman. I doubt she eats that much in real life. Anyway, there's so many of them, but I wanted to focus on Gilmore Girls because that's the one that... I think, uh, hammers at home the most times. Um, Lorelai and Rory are constantly eating. There's this one scene where Rory takes her high school boyfriend to family dinner with her grandmother, and her grandmother's chatting up the boyfriend. By the way, this boyfriend was a total fucking asshole. Uh, he was like, I read a lot and I'm a loner. And he was just like a huge douchebag to Rory, like disappeared on her, whatever. But he was definitely her hottest boyfriend. Mm. Got a little something, something for the band boys, don't you? But the grandmother says to her boyfriend, oh, you know, Lorelai and Rory eat so much and they maintain these tiny little bodies. And then he says, they should be studied. This one eats just about anything. Come on. I'm sorry, but the way you and your mother eat and those slim figures of yours, it's a medical marvel. They should be studied. It's chock full of scenes like that. They have these movie nights and they're always grocery shopping before it and getting like enough food to feed a family of 10. Do we want marshmallows? Mmm, and jelly beans and chocolate kisses, cookie dough we have at home, peanut butter. Ooh, do you think they have that thing that's like a sugar stick on one side, but then you dip it in the sugar on the other side and then you eat it? It's definitely over-exaggerated, but people are constantly commenting on it um on oh my gosh they eat so much you they're so small how how is it possible and I always found it so frustrating I always hated it and I couldn't exactly put my finger on why I hated it 
But now that I'm reading more about this skinny glutton trope, I'm figuring out exactly why I don't like it. And the reason why I don't like it, let me be clear, I don't think there's anything wrong with a thin woman who eats what she wants. In fact, I believe that everyone should eat what they want and they should never restrict themselves. I think I've made that very clear. However, if we show a larger bodied woman eating in the same amounts on a sitcom or in a movie, it's usually reduced to a punchline or it's used to degrade the character and make them seem disgusting. I can't stop eating. I eat because I'm unhappy. I'm unhappy because I eat. To me, this parallels society. And we give thin people a pass on eating anything they want while shaming fat people for eating the same things because of the potential health ramifications. And the fact is, we don't care about anyone's health that much because if we did care about their health, then people would have seen Lorelai and Rory on TV and said, these women have binge eating disorder. These women eat way too much takeout. They don't home make any of their food. They're eating marshmallows all the time. Like what is what is going on? They they survive on diner food and massive amounts of coffee. That's not healthy. But nobody was talking about that. Everybody was talking about how cute it was. And it was because these were thin women. So Anytime somebody in your life tells you, you would be so much healthier if you ate like this or if you ate less of this or about somebody else, they would be so much healthier if they did X, Y, Z. They do not really care about their health. Let's make that very clear. They're using other people's health as a reason for them to lose weight. And this is a coded form of fat phobia. Let me just define fat phobia for you in case you don't know. Fat phobia is the fear and dislike of fat people and the stigmatization of individuals with bigger bodies. So it doesn't literally mean a fear of fat people. That would be crazy. It's just like how homophobia does not mean a fear of gay people. It's a dislike or a disdain of those people and you can have internalized fat phobia. I know I do. Otherwise, why would I have laughed when my friend called a kid fat? You know, and as I explained, I did it because it, I felt awkward. But I think there is an element of I am not confident that the other person will see my side. And, you know, if somebody had said, oh, that gay kid over there is running so close to us. You better believe I would have bit back because that's crazy. But fat phobia is still something that is very accepted in our society and people feel very free to call other people fat. And the word fat, I will say, and this is leading into today's interview that I'm very excited for you guys to hear. But the word fat has been taken back by many plus size women as an empowering term or I'm sorry, not even an empowering term, but a neutral term, kind of like it's a descriptor word the same way that blonde is a descriptor word or tall or short. It's a word that is so loaded for so many people and I would not recommend just going up to somebody and calling them fat or saying, you know, hey, uh, you're a fat woman. Where do you buy your clothes? Because not everybody likes that word. But for some people, they have taken back that word. Kiss my fat ass. I think there's a big difference between you knowing that somebody identifies as a fat person and referring to them as fat and calling somebody fat in a degrading or rude way. Um, it's it's easy to tell the difference. I think you all can handle that. I don't need I don't need to hold your hand through that. But today's interview. Or rather, today's conversation, let's call it a conversation, I like that more, is with Megan Ixum, a.k.a. Miss Giggles, 
G-I-G-G-G-L-E-S on Instagram. And she is a content creator and a fat activist. Her words, she identifies as a fat person. And we talk a little bit about that word and why she decides to use it for herself. And we talk about body neutrality, which is the idea that we do not ascribe value to particular bodies over other bodies. Um, and we can view our bodies objectively. Megan is just incredible and you should definitely follow her on Instagram, especially if you're looking to follow more plus size individuals who talk openly about fat phobia and diet culture and living in a fat body and all of that good stuff. She does it in a really beautiful way. She's so eloquent. And after listening to the conversation, you'll know why she calls herself Miss Giggles. She's constantly giggling. She has such a positive disposition and is just a joy to talk to. But I want to share something with you guys before I go into that interview to expand just a little bit on what I was talking about with um, internalized fat phobia. I had Megan on as a guest on my other podcast, Hot Mess. Uh, This must have been about a month ago, I think, and she was on with her boyfriend, and I've known him for many years through podcasting and through um, comedy in New York, and that's how I met Megan, because she's his girlfriend. So I had them on together, and somebody wrote a review of the show shortly after, and the username is Cancel Megan. I'm not going to read the whole review, but the gist of it is her boyfriend sucks and his obese girlfriend is a horrible person. And it's a one-star review and that's the entire review. I did report that review because it's disgusting. Also, it's just not relevant. I mean, you it literally says the show is great, but this obese girl is a horrible person. Okay, thanks. Thanks for bringing down my rating for no fucking reason. God, people are so like sometimes I just think to myself, wow, I love my listeners so much. But then some of them are so dumb, clearly, because you like my show. You say it's great, but you're against me having a woman of a certain size on the show. And that's why you're giving me one star. How fucked up do you need to be in the head? I don't get it. I don't get it. And I hope they take this review down because, I mean, to me, this should qualify as hate speech. Because, you know, if somebody wrote a review that said his Asian girlfriend is a horrible person, why do you need to throw that word in there? It's not relevant to what you're saying. And you're implying that her being Asian makes her a horrible person. Do you know what I mean? It's a very, it's a very veiled way of saying, I do not approve of her body. She is not allowed to take up space because she's fat. I think calling a woman fat is one of the most disgusting things that you can do. And I'm saying that again because I I know what it's like and I know how fucking degrading it is and how bad you can feel about yourself for so many years and how hard it is to undo that damage. So, I mean, I just wish I could track down that person and kill them. Also, just kidding. I'm not going to kill anyone. Also, um, you're going to hear this conversation with Megan. She is so the opposite of a horrible person. There are horrible people in this world. She is not one of them. She is an earth angel. One thing I will say is that the audio on this conversation got a little distorted, mostly on my end, and I sincerely apologize. I always want to have the best quality audio that I can. But I still think it's a really worthwhile conversation to listen to. So if you can get past that, I fixed it as much as I could. And if you can get past it, I really think you're going to love it. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Megan Ixum. 
My guest today is someone I'm so excited to talk to. She is a content creator and a fat activist. She's Miss Giggles, Triple G on Instagram. And her name is Megan Ixum. I'm so excited to have you here. Welcome. Uh, I am so excited to be here. Thank you so much, Emily. We were talking a little bit before the show. And also, I had you on as a guest on my other podcast, Hot Mess. Yes, one of my faves. Did you enjoy yes, being on the I show? Did. That I was did. that your first podcast? Well, I've been doing my boyfriend Billy's podcast right, right, right. and we've been doing those episodes, but that's been like so casual. It's just like a thing to do. Yeah. Whereas that was like my more sit down, but I did one previously with Billy and I, but that was a little bit tailored to like my experience and like you know, like my life, which was very interesting to open up because I'm still you know, opening up so much more about my personal life. I'm like, wow. Is opening up in a podcast interview setting, is it because you're you're very expository on Instagram and you write like these long, very thoughtful captions. Is that also hard for you or is it just a different animal? I think it's an entirely different animal. And I think there's something to be said when you're in control of your own content and narrative. And it's like mm-hmm. nobody is forcing me to say or do those things. I just get to do them when I'm, you know, influenced or there's something specifically trending on topic and I get to put my own narrative to that. But um, it, it feels weird hearing myself on podcasts. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a universal feeling. Yeah, yeah. Nobody but- likes hearing their own voice. I actually don't hate my voice. Well, you happen to have a beautiful voice. I told you already you have a beautiful voice. Oh, shit. Um, yeah, but but like, no, everybody's just like self-conscious of hearing their voice. I'm always like, when I hear myself, the one thing that drives me crazy is I'm like, how long does it take you to get a sentence out? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm always looking for the right word. And that's just me. I, I've always been like that. But to hear it on a recording, I'm like, spit it out. Yeah, whereas me, like, I'm totally fine being almost naked on the internet but then like hearing myself and my own thoughts recorded I'm like oh yeah wow this is like very opening (laughs) yeah yeah it's a completely different way of exposing yourself like exposing your thoughts and feelings rather than your body but I mean on that note how did you get started on Instagram and how did you get started as a fat activist oh my goodness well I started taking it seriously about three or four years ago Um, I found myself finally after years of self-loathing and self-hating really enjoying exploring a creative side and I have a background in marketing. Um, I happened to work for a couple of ad agencies. I worked for human resources and I really just wanted something that like allowed me to be creative. And then from there, I realized like my existence being a happy fat woman at that time just didn't exist uh, and there wasn't really a platform for it for the past like four or five years. And then to the point of which where people were coming up to me and I thought that I was just taking normal photos of my outfits and, you know, like character. And then people were like, you're so inspiring. And like, you know, like it's taking so much depth and like seeing you and seeing how happy you are within yourself and within your body just makes me feel better about myself. And then from there, it it was just eye opening. And I was like, wow, like, you know, like existing and being happy with your own physical self is such a radical thing. And we don't even realize that until we see how much negative body talk and societal pressures. And then to me, it was just like, you know what, like I can do this for myself, but also for me, like I always wanted to create an open and welcoming community, depending on like a different variety of topics. Uh, I happen to be very sex positive. I happen to be very body positive. And I also now I'm just getting more into like radical fat acceptance and like understanding. Would you say that the feedback that you've gotten has been overwhelmingly positive or has it been negative as well? Luckily for me, um, I think because I have a, such a strong sense of self, I'm not an easy target. I That's think, good. <laughs> like when the internet I, is not for easy it targets. Is, it is not. You definitely, I mean, I'll tell you, I've had some crazy, crazy things sent to me, but for the most part, the positive always outweighs the negative. 
And the positive to me will always make it worth it, even if I was getting that like negative direction from people who just don't understand how I love myself. You know, have you been tested in that way? Like, did you have to develop that attitude over time or were you like that right off the bat? Um, I definitely have always been pretty, let's say, self-aware. I definitely didn't have the confidence I currently have. And it has been a journey. It's an everyday thing. Um, For me and myself, it was like cutting out specifically toxic family members and deciding that I was done with the diet cycle. I was done with the self-hate cycle. This is the body that I've been given and I don't want to waste another minute hating myself. And then from yes. <laughs> And then from there it became so weird because to me I could have never imagined that I would be eventually getting booked to model. <laughs> you know, like people paying me to show my body and show my face and like that was a skill that I had and it took like having a lot of creative friends that forced me into doing it because they just wanted subjects and then from there from practicing and self-shooting within myself it became like a really big trade and trend and now people know me as like the selfie queen you know (laughs) yeah yeah totally I mean you should definitely check out Megan's Instagram because you you're you're first of all like I don't know if you've noticed this or how many um body positive accounts you follow you probably follow more than I do in fact but um there some of them seem to be very purpose driven which I enjoy um and I think it's important but yours is very fun and you involve like a lot of different things just like snapchats of your life it's not all you modeling clothes, which seems to be like some of these accounts seem to take themselves very seriously. Yes. Um, And I I love that about I love that about your account. Yeah, I definitely like to have fun. And then I also will be serious and also have like very stern ideologies to the point where certain brands don't want to touch me. (laughs) So I have opposite spectrums of that. But I have, you know, like for me, it's like the internet, everyone takes it so seriously. And I think there is a balance that you can have. Like for me, it's like, I definitely am a strong, passionate woman but I also like to have that silliness within my photography like I I like to have like me eating a donut silly on the ground you know and I think there's something really great to see a fat woman enjoying her food and that was also like one of the things that got me going on my Instagram was like the response I would get from me wearing a fantastic outfit happily eating my food I cannot tell you how many people came up to me and were like that changed my life and I was like what how did how did that photo influence you like I'm like I'm just eating a burger and they're like the fact that you are comfortable because like the fact that you were comfortable and showing that like I am taking up this space like I'm no longer feeding into the narrative of like fat people have to enjoy and eat certain things like you're just doing what you want and that also helped me launch to the place where I'm at now and I love taking those kind of photos where I'm just like enjoying a fantastic meal that was one of the ways that I got over some of my own insecurities I used to suffer um, throughout middle school I used to hide and eat in the bathroom because I didn't want people to watch me eating oh that's like mean girls (laughs) yeah because I was so teased for like eating specific foods and not inherently terrible foods that, you know, what society perceives to be very unhealthy foods, all food, you know, food is fuel, but food you is know, neutral. Yeah, people. food is neutral. Um, but yeah, I had such bad anxiety that I would not eat in public until I was about like 23, 24. I'd have I'd be very self-conscious about it. Well, yeah, I mean, it's so heartbreaking. I don't know if I mentioned this to you, but when I was younger, I was um, classified as overweight. I don't, you know, I don't, use those words anymore but that I was classified as that and my parents were always trying to get me to lose weight it was like a very tense situation in my house um and you know I started to notice very early on that people would make comments about things that I was eating but if my sister was eating the same thing 
it was cute and it was um, like almost like endearing. Like people would be like, oh, look at her. She's so tiny and she's eating a whole pizza, you know, but if I did that. And uh, so I think like when you're little, that feels so personal and you don't realize that it's something so much bigger than all of us. And it's it's this systemic fat phobia that we can't seem to escape from. So I'm wondering like at what point did you um, make the switch between like being self-conscious and feeling bullied and feeling like down on yourself to then transforming being like, I am, I'm a fat person and that's okay. And I'm healthy and happy. Well, I mean, a little of my background is like, I grew up in a pro dieting environment. Uh, I started dieting at the age of 10 where my mom would sneak me into Weight Watchers meetings, uh, and convince the people who work there to weigh me, even though it wasn't policy for someone my age to go you know that's <laughs> funny because they have Weight Watchers for kids now oh don't get me started on that <laughs> but you know like I grew up in a very pro diet culture like I, I can't even tell you how many diets I personally went through to the point in which in college when I was finally able to be in control of my own diet I went the opposite way I sadly suffered from anorexia um, and bulimia to the point of which like I got down maybe two sizes and was eating maybe 600 calories a day. Yeah. And I still, you know, couldn't get to that ideal societal sizing. <laughs> so then to that point, I was like, this is like, it's just not going to happen for me. Like my body is just not capable of being that small, like no matter what I do. And I've always been athletic. I've always, you know, worked out and been pretty just like active and this is just the way my body is. But it got to the point where I had really supporting and wonderful relationships. Um, I never was really shamed by people I had like serious romantic relationships with. And then from that, I started doing my own research and surrounding myself with people who valued me as a person. And then slowly got away from sadly those negative people who I wanted their opinions and I wanted their approval and then finally realized that wasn't going to happen. And I chose myself. I chose my own happiness. And it wasn't an overnight thing. It literally was me for a year reminding myself that not only was my body wonderful and delicate and strong and capable of so many things, I also brought it around the world and I was hiking mountains and I, you know, like I really cherished and I was getting adored. And I think that to me, like within myself and despite like what other people would say, because I still got negative comments. I've been bullied for my size for quite a bit. Um, I finally just like enough's enough. Like at like 24, 25, I was like, I have nothing more to prove. Like I know who I am as a person. I know I'm a good person. I know I care about others. And if people are going to hate me because I'm fat or call me fat, then that means I'm a pretty goddamn good person. If that's the only negative thing you can say about me. Hell yeah. That's what a beautiful space to be in and uh, mazel to you for like being able to achieve that at a young age because it takes people their entire lifetimes to break free from that cycle, you know? Oh my God. It, it's, it's insane. The, the things and the comments that I hear still that people will say in front of me, it, it breaks my heart. Cause it's like, you see so much beauty, whether it be outer and inner. And you're like, I hate seeing people around me just tear themselves apart, apart. I had a weird accent on that one. <laughs> um, apart. I was Irish. I was real Irish apart. for a second. Uh, apart. Um, but like seeing that and just looking and being like, wow, like I've come so far. Cause I would, never say that about myself like I'm so hard on myself but it's always professionally and personally it is no longer to do with my body you know yeah and those are things that you can control yeah a hundred percent like those are things but that's the mindset too is also like we believe that that's something that we can control and we can control our food intake and we can control and put ourselves on a diet and it usually is something that people who are having troubles outwardly and with other things will fall back on those, you know, what I would say traditions. Because what's more traditional to most women identifying people than changing the narrative and talking negatively about your body? But that could be said about anyone. Yeah, I mean, it's also like um, 
a bonding experience between women. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, not just between women. I I actually think back when we used to gather in groups. um, (laughs) Oh, right. uh, Yeah. Remember that time? So nice. Um, I, I would notice that the people around me would mention either, you know, their quote lifestyle change or their Mm. diet or the weight that they've lost at least three times in one gathering. Um, or, or like this thing is good for you and this thing is bad for you. And it, it, I didn't even notice how brainwashed I was until I started opening my eyes and learning about all these things. And then it was like, I could suddenly hear those around me saying things that I know they know nothing about. And I just wonder like how this information seeps into our brains. Like, are we hearing it from doctors? Are we hearing it from our family? Is it a combination? You know, I think it's such a societal thing. I think it's like a topic of conversation. And sometimes some people that's all they can obsess and fantasize about is like this ideal body image and this idea of fantasy of what they can be and not be accepting of who they are now. And I think like that's also the mistake that people make too is like dieting is a fairly like women centric thing where it's like, no, I have seen from anyone and everyone this kind of like self deprecating talk or this like being unsure of yourself and wanting to get to that next size, that next, you know, weight class. Um, my life, I'm going to buy a bathing suit when I reach, you know, 180 pounds instead of 200 pounds. Which is so sad. I mean, I touched on that in one of the earlier episodes, but it's so funny how we aspire to have a, quote, beach body, but we maybe go to the beach like eight times a year. Yeah, it, you know what it's I mean? so silly, but it's a marketing ploy. I mean, it's such a huge marketing ploy. There was like an example of this too, where it was like a beach body dieting co and they like filtered the actual person that was the model. And it was just like those like AdWords just work. It's like that beach body because that's the most nude that we're allowed to be as a society before getting too sexy or too, you know, yeah, but God, God forbid you be in your underwear, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so strange. I, I also, I am wondering, the word fat obviously has been taken on by fat activists, like taking mm-hmm. back the word as a descriptor word. But I, a lot of people still see that as like a negative word, a shaming word. How do you think of the term fat and how do you explain it to people? Oh my. So I actually just had someone recently call me fat on the internet and I shared my response and I shared the screenshot and people, of course, their first initial reply was how rude or how sad. I'm like, fat to me is such a neutral word, just like straight size is and plus sizes. It's just a descriptor. It puts nothing of value. And it's like, I think to me, retraining people to understand that has been really difficult because I'll have people who be like, but you're gorgeous, but you're beautiful, mm. like, but you're, you're curvy. And I'm like, yes, I am fat and I am also beautiful. We can be both. Yeah. The fat two are not, not mutually mean, exclusive. Yeah. They are not mutually exclusive. And it's a struggle. I'm telling you, like I am, I work so hard to reclaim and I try to use it as much as I can to the point where I was hearing my boyfriend constantly describing me as this beautiful fat goddess because he's like, I want to keep pushing the positive narrative. Ugh. And it was very interesting to hear that. And I was like, yeah, like I'm okay with that. You know, like I am okay. And I know that I am fat, like, yeah. and saying that. And I want people to say that. And it's like, I am fat, but I am so many positives with that. The fat is just a description if somebody was describing me on the street. Totally. Are there any words that you don't like? Like, do you not like curvy or do you, are there any that like get under your skin? Curvy's totally fine. And I had this conversation with somebody who asked me what the appropriate way to describe herself would be. She was about, if I have to put a number, a size 10. And she was like, I'm not, I don't describe myself as thin I'm not comfortable saying that which is totally fine I'm also not comfortable saying I'm plus size and I was like I think curvy is a very okay descriptor of really anyone um it it describes femininity 
Yeah. But, you know, words words are very powerful. And I also try to, like, stay away from too harsh of descriptors that put too much of a gender role as well. And I think, you know, like, there's certain words. I recently had a discussion about the use of thick. Oh, T-H-I-double-C. Yes. And it was really eye-opening to see how people were using that word inherently respecting fat spaces. And the word was actually created by... 90s black femme fat women as a positive to try to transform that narrative and to me like I can't speak from their experience I can only speak for myself but sadly sometimes the usage of thick gets thrown into places that don't respect fat women uh can you give an example because I don't know if I've seen that um I have seen accounts for example that have described they're let's if I had to describe them they are petite white or white passing women who will use terms like this fat thick pussy (laughs) and but yet will not create spaces or will talk down on actual fat women gross yeah and that's where my like you know because I think the word maybe isn't even I've discussed this where it's not even inherently made for me (laughs) yeah Yeah, well, you do need to consider the history of the word. And even I've actually heard debates over whether body positive is a word that everybody can use because Uh, it was invented for the same reason. Well, not for um, women of color, but just for plus size women to feel more accepted in the space um, and embrace their size. So then when you see, you know, thin models adopt the same term body positivity just for like a hashtag or for, I, I don't even know what. It is kind of grating and I see that. But it's like, it's also like, where do you draw the line there? Yeah. And I think, well, actually body positivity was created for black fat individuals oh really I didn't um, I realize forget that. if it was yes I forget if it was the 70s or the 90s I don't I don't remember offhand but it actually was created specifically for those people and then they adapted it to all fat people as a way to kind of turn the narrative but then it became a buzzword about a year or two ago where everyone was interacting with it which I have very mixed feelings about the use of body positivity. I think the space has kind of been taken away from the people it was intended for. But I also believe in body neutrality. And I believe in allowing people to have that space in which they can find people who are similar to themselves, enjoying themselves and loving themselves and have that safe space. But that is the reason why I no longer use body positivity as much as I inherently would, even though like people consider me a body positive content creator. I now identify as a fat activist specifically because we keep getting kicked out of the spaces in which we create to allow acceptance of all people. And yet the narrative gets taken away from us. I recently had a fight about fat phobia where someone who identified themselves as a thin, straight-sized, attractive woman. This is their words. And was like, well, I suffer from, you know, issues with my body as well. And I was like, yes, I listen, I understand that. We all suffer from our own body issues. But you do not suffer the same societal norms and pressures that fat phobia enables to the point of which we don't get the right health care. We get denied employment. And I've had threats to my life. I was like, have you ever had threats to your life and existing in your body? You know, I just actually recorded a whole episode about thin privilege and about this whole idea that some people don't think that thin privilege even exists because just like you said, somebody of any size can definitely have body image issues and they could be completely depressed over it and hate their body and Everyone has the right to feel however they want about their body. But at the same time, it's very important when you're talking about any issue, really, to recognize the privilege that you do have. And, you know, being able to walk into a store and know that you will find your size, even something as small as that people take for granted. I mean, that that to me, I could talk about that for hours, just accessibility and the difficulties we have as fat people just... Finding, I had a conversation yesterday about a woman trying to find a blazer to go to a job interview that was a size 24 
and couldn't go to the mall and find a black blazer in her size. That's bananas. And that's the standard. I mean, I can't tell you how hard it is to shop as a larger bodied individual, let alone try to have a specific fashion sense. (laughs) Yeah, that would be so frustrating because fashion is, I mean, I'm a huge fan of fashion and like people expressing themselves through fashion. And it would be very limiting. I mean, myself, I'm more of a midsize woman and shopping, you know, thrifting or vintage clothes. And we talked about this on that episode as well. They're so small. And when I do that, I, I, that's the only time I get a window into the limited options available for mm-hmm. larger bodied people because these clothes are just not made for me. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, for me, like, so I am really into sustainability and thrifting. I'm a huge vintage fan. I am known for being a plus size vintage influencer because it is so rare and hard and for me it's like I work constantly to find pieces that will fit my size and I can name only maybe four places I can shop online where I can get vintage plus size can you give us some tips for people who want to shop vintage but can't find anything online I mean sadly online 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 um I follow a couple of places that do story sales Um, I can put them in the links. There's, I love resale. One of my dreams is to open a resale store of my own that will specialize in plus size sizes for men and for women, because we don't discuss how difficult it is for plus size men to also shop. Um, but, uh, I love one place I love is Curve Conscience. It's a totally plus size resale. Um, they do story sales and they're located, in Philadelphia and it's owned by a wonderful woman person of color who started the business I think five years ago and she's just killing it um so I love giving her my money and there's another vintage specific store out of Chicago um I can't remember the name of it but I'll I'll try to throw it in send it to but yeah there's a couple but it's hard it's so hard and that's the worst part is I I see the privilege so much with certain influencers being like well if you're not buying sustainable like and talking down I'm like it's not available to us yeah god (laughs) like I kid you not like I am one of those people who's willing to spend two hundred dollars on an amazing outfit that's not accessible. That's not okay. Yeah, God, the and, ignorance. Oh my God. I can't tell you. Someone literally talked down on me for shopping once from Forever 21. And I was like, do you think I want to? Like, do you think that this is my first choice? No, I'd rather go to Saks. But sadly, the only place I can find a bodysuit to cover my butt is Forever 21. God, <laughs> Forever 21 and American Apparel were the two rivaling queens of bodysuits. Just like four years ago. Oh, my God. You just gave me flashbacks. Yes, they were. Um, You mentioned before that you're an advocate of body neutrality. Do you want to just quickly, like, define what that is for people who don't know? So this is not going to be the textbook definition. But for me, the way that I describe it is the mindset of all bodies are good bodies. And as soon as we stop putting value to specific sizes, norms, ideologies, we can all exist in this wonderful utopia where we get past this obsession within ourselves and within our bodies and we stop comparing and we just exist. That's definitely not the textbook version. But to me, it's just an acceptance of stop putting values on terminologies like thin, thick, fat, obese these are all objective terms we don't they don't hold any power exactly and how are you able to achieve that in your life have you had any struggles or challenges like on a day-to-day basis do you have to remind yourself that that is important to you um it depends on where my head is at just to you know I suffer from body dysmorphia I during quarantine had a really rough time with my body dysmorphia. Yeah, as uh, um, many and, people did, I'm sure. Yeah, and I'm a, a diet, 
culture dropout and I still am struggling and I actually uh, this is going to be a really weird thing to describe but I had in my mind because I couldn't identify my own body size and shape like I had in my mind where I convinced myself I was pregnant because I just couldn't I didn't have control of my own body at the time and like I'm not usually forced to be inside like not being active and yeah so I definitely still struggle and it's something that I have to convince myself and remind myself my own shapes and forms and sizing but for me the ways that I combat that is I take my selfies I look at myself through a lens and I'm like this is how you actually look besides looking at myself Mm -hmm. in the mirror and I also do um art class posing that's actually really helped with my body dysmorphia having others draw my body that's awesome do you pose nude I do. That's amazing. Yeah. Where do you do that at? Like a university? I do it at a local art school and I've done it for a place in Brooklyn as well. But that actually helped me insanely. And it was one of one of those things where I had a weird talent from being, you know, the daughter of a single mom where I could just sit still for 20 minutes and not worry about it. (laughs) That's hilarious. Um, We got to wrap up, but thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people find you and follow you and uh, consume you? Ah, well, the easiest place to follow me is Miss Giggles on Instagram. It's (laughs) M-S-G-I-G-G-G-L-E-S. And from there, I have all of my links. I'm hosting a couple of pose classes. I'm trying to start a Facebook community to have a safe space. These pose classes look interesting also. Is it, well, obviously it's remote, right? Yes, it's through Zoom. So through (laughs) Zoom and do you show people like how to pose in ways that are flattering for their body or what is the focus of that? It actually is mostly for the class finding it's a way to increase self-confidence. And I think selfies are actually a way to increase your self-confidence. Could not agree more. Um, Like I definitely have seen like my confidence grow from being able to take photos that I think are genuinely interesting. But the class goes through like, posing techniques to taking selfies like why selfies are beneficial um lighting editing and it's like an interactive class as well so I have people like posing with me or you can I go through like facial um kind of uh but what I say, like, like workshop fa- facial gestures. Yeah. That, that's yes. where you always lose it. Yeah. When the body looks good, the face is <laughs> off. And um, if that's you and you're listening, then you might want to think about doing this class. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for coming on. You're a delight as always. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Okay, I hope everybody enjoyed that conversation with Megan. Follow her at Miss Giggles with a triple G on Instagram. She is such a good follow. And she also has so many resources that would be really helpful to somebody who is in a bigger body or even if you're not in a bigger body and you just want uh, a little assistance breaking free from diet culture because that is what we're all about is it not also she mentioned a bunch of plus size vintage stores all online um, and I reached out to her and asked her for the specific stores she was talking about and she sent me them so I'm gonna put those in the show notes um, because I think that's a fantastic resource and feel free to give those people all your money anyway I'll be back next week please people keep writing iTunes reviews they truly do help me out help a sister out and slide into my DMs I am Lubination L-U-B-I-N-A-T-I-O-N on Instagram Slide into my DMs. Tell me how, what you think about the show. If there are topics you want me to cover, if there are guests that you would love for me to talk to, I am all ears. And also, if you're enjoying this podcast, take a screenshot of it when you're listening. Make it your Instagram story. Tag me. I want to start a revolution, and the only way to do that is to spread the fucking word.